This episode of The Shalene Show is sponsored by our friends at Talkspace. Listen, sometimes your emotions just get the best of you, or you just feel like stress is piling up, or maybe you just need someone else's perspective, someone who doesn't know you and all the people in your life, like someone who can give you a fresh way of looking at things. Talkspace will match you with a dedicated therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and use code Shalene. You'll also get $100 off your first month. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, eating disorders, and so much more. Your therapist can help you set and achieve your goals. And most people are pretty amazed by how much progress they can make when they're on a weekly basis talking to a therapist. I'm proud to say that Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform. Like I said, they have thousands of therapists. They're going to find someone who's a perfect match for you. And Talkspace allows you to send and receive unlimited number of messages with your dedicated therapist on the Talkspace platform 24-7. To sign up, simply go to Talkspace.com or download the app. And be sure to use code Shaleen to get $100 off your first month. Today, I thought I would do something fun and answer your questions. These are some of the more common questions that I get. Some of these were taken from Instagram. Some of these are taken from direct messages that I get in my Facebook group. And some of these are from my Patreon members. All right, let's get to it. First question is, how different are your kids' weddings going to be? Well, let's see. Let's start with what they have in common. They both are doing destination weddings. Sierra and Roman are getting married in Santa Barbara. So that's a destination wedding. And Brock and Taylor are getting married in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So right there, you know, that they're going to be just different because of the locations. But things that are similar is that they both have picked venues that are like there's no building. Like there's no like. So, for example, Sierra is getting married on a retired orchid farm in Santa Barbara. It's really cool. So it used to be like an active orchid farm and now they just hold events there. It overlooks the ocean. It's going to be a beautiful view, but we'll be outside like on a cliff. And then we walk down like a dirt path. I know that sounds funny, but (laughs) we walk down this little path through the orchid farm and then the reception is going to be held in this big ginormous abandoned greenhouse. I can't wait for you to see the photos. Brock and Taylor are getting married in this just, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous location, mountains, beautiful greenery, like it's just picturesque, but there's, you know, their view and Wyoming just looks very different from Santa Barbara. But both couples were basically like building venues for them. Like, you know, you've got to bring in the dance floor and tents and lights, especially with Brock and Taylor's wedding. Like we we have to do everything, we have to bring in like porta potties and you know it's a field so like everything has to be built or shipped or you know rented there a lot of that has to be done at sierra's too obviously so that's what they both have in common they both have used wedding coordinators and i will just tell you and brock and taylor i'm sure are fine with me saying this sierra's just got very lucky and found the most amazing wedding coordinators ever. I highly, highly, highly recommend them. In fact, I'm going to put a link to their Instagram in my show notes. Like they're that amazing. 
Brock and Taylor's wedding coordinators, I don't mind telling you, I want to pinch their heads off. They have just not made this easy. Something that's kind of difficult, which is why we re- like really needed a wedding coordinator to do this you know, destination wedding in Wyoming. They have made it so difficult. I don't know if they've had staffing problems or what have you, but each time we bring it to their attention that like, you know, hello, <laughs> what is going on here? They just blame us or blame the wedding season. So it's been incredibly interesting to have, to do both these weddings at the same time and to have such wildly different experiences, 100% because of the wedding coordinators. So I think that's a really important piece of enjoying the day and enjoying the process and every piece of it. And it just, it's to me as a mother, it's just, it's upsetting to me that it's been so stressful for Brock and Taylor and for Brett and I having to deal with these other coordinators. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. They had great Yelp reviews. <laughs> you know how I feel about Yelp reviews. And sometimes you, you just never know. Sometimes it can be a great company and they're just going through a tough period. Who knows? I don't know. I just pray that for both of my kids that they know the wedding is, you know, I want it to be a really nice day for them, but it's the least important piece of the next 50 years. You know, we need to stay focused on the marriage and the fact that you've got people coming from all over to support you and celebrate you and, you know, whether you ordered the tri-tip or the fish, like who really cares about all those little details? I know that's so much easier to say, like after you've been married for, you know, three decades, but it's just true. And, And I think they both have really, really good attitudes about it. How they will be different is probably more a reflection of their personalities. So I think Sierra's wedding party is much more casual. I think it's going to be a little bit more chill, like, you know, kind of Sierra and Roman are just like both into like, you know, everybody just express yourself and individualism and let's just be chill about the whole thing. Whatever happens, happens. And it's going to be great. It's going to be beautiful. Sierra's dress. Oh, I can't tell you. I mean, both. Oh, my gosh. Taylor's dress. They're both insanely gorgeous and so different. I think Brock and Taylor's wedding is going to be a little bit smaller, a little bit more you know, because of the location, it's expensive place to get to. There's not a lot of places to stay. Insanely gorgeous. But I think that their wedding, I think, although the, this is kind of funny, I asked Brock and Taylor about, it says on their wedding invitations, black tie optional. And I'm like, oh, so like, are, Brock, are you wearing a black tie? I mean, are your groomsmen wearing black tie? He's like, no. And I'm like, oh, is anyone wearing black tie? He's like, I don't think so. The coordinators just suggested we put it on there. I'm like, okay. That's my point. These wedding coordinators, I did not have a good day with them today. So this is probably the wrong day to answer that question. So let's move on. Okay. All right. Fine. I'll answer this question. Maggie asks, okay, here it is. You've got great teeth. Are they veneers? Are they all yours? Or do you have advice on keeping them super white? Okay. So my, let's see, one, two, three. So it'll be six of my top teeth are veneers and four on my bottom are veneers. And I got them like I think 20 years ago. And I think it was the best decision ever, (laughs) if I do say so myself. You know, they weren't nearly as expensive back then as they are today. The fact that they're 20 years old makes me nervous, which is probably why like once a week, I have a reoccurring dream that I'm like live on Instagram and my teeth are just like falling out of my head. 
I don't know what that means, but I have that reoccurring dream all the time. And so when you have veneers, they are just, you don't have to whiten them. They're just white. Now, the rest of my teeth are my teeth. So I do whiten those to make certain that they stay white to match my veneers. Now, when I have my veneers put in, I have my veneers colored to match my regular teeth. I didn't go like whiter than my regular teeth. So that means I have to put whitening strips on my other teeth just to make sure that they stay white enough to match my veneers. Does that make sense? And when I do that, I just use whitening strips. Okay, next question. I think I must live by you in Orange County, Shaleen. I see you sometimes and your daughter and occasionally your husband at the gym. Would it be weird if I came up and said hello? Absolutely not. I would love that. It's weird when I can tell that somebody wants to say hello or that I might know them. And then I'm like, do I look at them? Because I can tell they're looking at me. Do I know them? Am I supposed to know them? Sometimes I will just say, hi, do I know you? Like if it's like really obvious, but sometimes I feel weird saying that. So I would just much rather you just say like, hey, I listen to the show. That's my favorite thing to hear. You guys know that, right? So if, if you see me, your intro line should be, I listen to the Shaleen show because you get automatic BFF status. If you say to me after that, I've also done your workout programs or I'm in the Marketing Impact Academy. I love that too. But like people who listen to podcasts, people who listen to my show, people who listen to podcasts in general, you're just cooler. You're smarter. You know that. So we have this automatic bond and it just, it puts you in immediate VIP status. So yes, say hello. My kids love that too. It's never awkward. I'm telling you, it's never awkward unless I'm in the bathroom. I've had that happen. That's a little awkward. If you're in a bathroom stall, it's not the time to be like, hi, Shalene, I'm standing right outside the door. I know I was wondering if I'd get a picture with you. Yeah, that really has happened. But no, if, especially if you're a Shalene show listener, like, that's code for your cool. Ooh, this is a good one from Stacy. Stacy says, would you ever consider writing a book to expose all of the secrets about the fitness industry? I have thought about it many, many, many times. There were so many crazy, wild things that happened that I have never talked about that to this day, I'm like, holy cow, that really happened. Someone really said that. Someone really did this. Like, I mean, I think a lot has changed a ton. Like some of the things that I saw or we did or it was suggested that we do or that I knew other people were doing, it was just, it wasn't even like a secret. It was just kind of common practice. And I think it would blow people's minds. My only hesitation is I personally don't like to benefit or for it to appear as though I am trying to capitalize on something that's dramatic or traumatic or something that happened to me that was negative. I mean, like even the whole thing with my plastic surgeon, I felt a ethical obligation to expose, to share my story, to let others know that they aren't crazy, that this trauma is real and it really did happen. And and then have all of these other women come forward with receipts, with their own personal stories and the photos and the videos. And so then it was less about me. It was more about protecting others. So if I were to write that book about you know, what the fitness industry used to do, I don't know how much it still does of these things. Am I really protecting anyone or is it just being salacious? You know what I mean? And I just am not I just don't feel like it's appropriate for me. I don't need to stoop to that level as much as I would love to, like, or I'd love to just like, you know, be able to tell 
a small group of people. Like you just, some things you just want to get off your chest, but I would feel weird. It would feel inappropriate to profit from a book that's just salacious. And and I don't know how it would help anyone. It's just interesting. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't know. I'm still wrestling with that. Maybe you guys have some thoughts on it. Next question. Do you ever get sick of getting so many messages? No. I mean, there are times when I don't get sick of it, but that I feel overwhelmed because I can't get to everybody. And I feel that less and less now. I used to, whenever I would get a message from someone who's like, I've sent you six direct messages over the last year and you haven't replied to one. I used to feel so bad and I would write them a a long explanation. I would show them how many messages I get per day. And now I'm like, if somebody does not have the common sense to look at my account and realize I have, you know, whatever, like 750,000 on Instagram, the same, almost 800,000 on TikTok, you know, a million on Facebook, you know, plus Patreon, plus all these Facebook groups. Like if somebody doesn't have the common sense to realize there's a lot of messages and there's no possible humanly way to get through all of them. Like, do I really need to, you know, make excuses or defend myself? No. And to be honest, I'm so freaking grateful for like messages like this, like just questions. And I'm I'm so grateful that you guys talk to me inside the pod squad and that you do send me direct messages on Instagram because that's how the show is created. Like you are my co-creators. Fridays are about what's going on in my life, but Mondays and Wednesdays are always about what's going on in your life. So it's the messages that you're sending me. It's the questions, it's the things you're telling me that you're struggling with. Like I get so wrapped up in that and it is so helpful. It is so rewarding to feel this connected to a community. I don't have words to describe it. Okay. And then the same person asked a follow-up question. I love this follow-up question. How would you feel if no one was messaging or responding or interacting with you? Well, I, I guess it's kind of how we felt before social media, right? So I think what she's asking is how would I feel if it all went away? If it all went away and it was just like something happened with me, like, I don't know, people, you know, canceled me or I lost all of my accounts. Like if it wasn't my intention to stop communicating with people, just people just whatever blocked me. And I I wasn't getting this like instant feedback and these questions and you know, these, these relationships, I guess my first reaction, my first thought is the emotion would, I would feel a little lost. If I'm being so honest with you, I would feel sad. I wouldn't feel like I have, I, I feel so much purpose. I mean, it boosts my confidence, which, you know, probably affects your ego. Like I, I really do take so much pride and it's like part of my identity. And it's when I think about the value that I bring to the world, like you know, it's, it's a lot of this. So yeah, I would, I'd probably feel pretty crappy to be honest. I'd, I'd have to find new meaning and new purpose, which of course I could, cause I I've done it many different times in my life. But if it were just like all of a sudden, yeah, that would be pretty devastating. Oh, I get this question all the time. Red or blue Democrat or Republican. I've answered this many times. I am neither. I hate both. I hate extremes of either side. I like to look at any one issue and make a common sense, personal decision, and it's no one else's business, and we don't do politics on this show, so the only politics I'm going to discuss is how much I hate politics. Okay, moving on. Will you please do a podcast episode discussing what you eat in a day? 
I think I probably have. I'm sure that I have at some point, but I, I don't think I would do that again in the future. I really cannot see myself doing that again in the future because I don't see it as healthy. I think it's a dangerous practice that, and, and listen, a lot of people do it, so please don't take this out of context, but I think it's gone too far because I see people who have no business telling others what to do. And maybe that's not their intention. They're just saying, here's what I ate today. But when you make one of those videos, the subliminal message is, this is what you need to eat to look like me. And that is just false. Number one. And number two, a lot of these people that are making these videos, I see them mainly on YouTube, the thumbnail is always them in bikini or in their underwear. And then they show what they ate for the day. And you just really don't know if, in fact, that's what they ate or if it's just something that looks really pretty. I mean, because I see a lot of these videos, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way they do all this or they ate all that or they just have no clue about nutrition. And then, you know, they're missing fiber or they're missing protein or like whatever. But then there's these thousands and hundreds of thousands in some cases, young women watching these videos and thinking that it's all really good advice. And emulating them. And I, I should do like a whole podcast on that trend because I think we've taken something that was interesting where people mean well, but I think it can pretty be pretty dangerous. So no, I don't think I will be doing what I eat in a day on a podcast or in a YouTube video anytime soon. Oh girl, I love this question. How do you shut off your ADHD brain when you're having sex? I struggle with this. Apparently, this is very common. Personally, I do not have this happen very often. It's very rare that that happens. And here's how I manage it. Hyper focus. So, you know, Brett and I, we flirt throughout the day. I kind of know. I'm not sure if anyone else is like this. Let me know. (laughs) Let me know in the comments on the pod squad or Ladies who are in Patreon, you know where to leave your comments. So I'm curious if other people, you you know this too. So like, I think by noon most days, I know if we're having sex at night because of the way we interact and the way we flirt with each other and what kind of days we're having. Like, so if it's an intense, crazy, stressful day for both of us and we're both like kind of ignoring each other, well, then the flirting sometimes doesn't happen until the evening, but if like the stress keeps going and like, you know, we're still kind of like putting out fires and and in work mode and not like truly able to relax and, and that's how dinner is. And we're not, we haven't flirted with each other. It's probably a lower likelihood that we're going to have sex just because neither of us are in the right frame of mind and and we're not going to force it. There are, however, sometimes where our libido isn't matched, right? Like, so he's like really in the mood and I'm not because I'm having that stressful kind of day. But if he starts like flirting with me and, you know, I can tell like he's really in the mood or whatever, then I know for me, I need to shut off work. I need to shut off stress. So like that's my cue and that's literally what I will do. And I will, I will take myself off of my phone and I will take a shower or take a bath, cuddle up on the couch next to him, maybe have a glass of wine and just try to focus, hyper-focus on feeling sexy, feeling romantic, feeling close to him. If I try to flip it on and off like a light switch, there's no way. I just couldn't. Like my brain, just like yours, would be like, 
ping-ponging from one subject and one idea and one thought to the next. Like that's how my brain operates unless I'm really focused and zeroed in on something. Like right now when I record a podcast, I can be so crazy laser focused. I don't use a script. I don't even use bullet points. I just do this because I'm super hyper-focused because I really, really enjoy it. It's when I'm doing something that I kind of enjoy that my brain starts racing and I it pops all over the place all different subjects, things that aren't related to what it is I'm working on. It's like my brain wants to avoid what I'm working on because I don't enjoy it. So then I'll think about 19 other unrelated topics and my brain starts going so fast, it feels like a ping pong match. And in order to enjoy sex, in order to have an orgasm, you have to be really present. You have to let go. You can't be in your thoughts about things that aren't related to sex. Like when I'm Having sex, that's the only thing I'm thinking about. And the way to do that is to not flip the switch. Like it's to get myself revved up. I know what I need to do. I know what works for me to get myself in the mood. I know what gets him in the mood. And so I hyper-focus on that. And I think we're really, we've become, I don't think we always were, but I think we've become really good about communicating what it is we want, what it is we feel But again, it wasn't always like that. Like, so if he wasn't in the mood and I was, we really didn't talk about it. It would, it might feel like rejection from one party or the other. And now, now we're not like that at all. So I hope that helps. Mm. Okay. I'm going to answer this one. Is it awkward that you have family and friends that are Beachbody coaches? No, it's, it's not awkward for me, but I worry that it might be awkward for them. Okay, I will be honest and say, I can't look at any of that content. I I just, I don't enjoy it. You know, like where they're specifically promoting products or programs, like I just, for me, it's like, mm -mm. you know, when you leave a job and you're like, I'm never going back there, you probably unfollow the people that you worked with or whatever. And I I love those people. These are my friends and family members. So I, I love them and I love some of their content, but a lot of their content is of course, mixed in with, you know, promotions. And I don't enjoy that. So I try to skip past those. It's not awkward for me. I worry that it might be awkward for them because I'm very vocal about the things that I think are unhealthy. And just like as in any industry, there are people who are really ethical and really in it for the right reason. And they really care about people and they really try to help people. And I think those tend to be the most successful coaches because they're in it for the right reason. I think the people who give any industry a bad name are the people who are in it for the wrong reasons, people who are self-serving and just want to make money and, you know, pick an industry and I can show you people who fit that bill and they're lousy and you don't want to be associated with them. I feel very fortunate to say that my friends and family members are are not that way. (laughs) And that's probably why they're very successful. So I think it's not awkward for me. I worry that it's awkward for them because you know, there are some Beachbody coaches that feel like I have said negative things about coaches and I haven't. The things I have negative to say are about the consumer fitness industry, the diet culture that I think is so pervasive and really got out of control in the 2000s and and in some cases is still really out of control. So my friends and family members know that what I say isn't about them and it really isn't even about Beachbody. It's really more about me. 
it's about my own experience. It's about what's what, what's comfortable for me. It's about what I agree with, what I don't agree with, what I what I know to be healthy for me. And it's really more of a statement of what the fitness industry was like, and specifically consumer fitness when I was really involved, deeply involved. And I, I know there's still a lot of problems, but I mean, there's problems with just fitness influencers. But I think the consumer fitness side of things, I think things have improved. I really do. What exactly are you taking for menopause? Bioidenticals? Question mark. I'm struggling. Okay. So technically I'm not yet menopausal. To be formally menopausal means you've you've gone a full year without your period. So I'm not there yet, but I am obviously perimenopausal. And I know that not just because of my age, but also because I test my hormone levels every 90 days. Now that might be excessive for some people. Some people test theirs every six months. And based on my levels, I adjust accordingly. So I can't tell you the like exact dosages or brands or whatever, but they are bioidentical. And I go to a, a pharmacy that specifically does bioidentical formulations. I work with a team of doctors at, well, you know what? I will link to it below. They're in Huntington Beach, California. They specialize in hormone replacement therapies. They very much have an integrative approach. They're, you know, I've been to doctors where you feel like they're just like trying to sell you all their supplements and sell you on this and that. They're not like that at all. I mean, they really do care about the whole person and your lifestyle, your longevity, you know, regardless of what the test results say, they will always say, well, how do you feel? Like they, they just aren't ever pushing anything. I love, love, love that. I love that they trust my intuition about things. But anyways, I will put a link to Dr. Lee and Dr. Singler in the show notes. But I am currently taking, I don't know, two capsules of progesterone. I don't know what that means. I'm taking a half a lozenge of estrogen. I take a very small injection of testosterone every two weeks. I take something for thyroid support, and then I take all of my multivitamins, and then I also take my brain supplements. And those all contain vitamins that are really important for a woman's hormone health, like vitamin D, huge, vitamin C, vitamin B, like those all support your hormone levels. And then, of course, you know, taking melatonin. Melatonin is a hormone that women produce less of as they approach menopause, which is why a lot of women have, you know, disordered sleep and they don't realize they think that it's like hot flashes, which sometimes it could be. But also if you have ADHD and you're a perimenopausal, you're producing less melatonin and that's going to impact your sleep. And if you're getting less sleep, then your cortisol level goes up. And if your cortisol level goes up, then your body fat goes up. So like, you know, it's not just like popping pills or giving yourself an injection. It's everything. It's exercise. It's reducing your stress. It is monitoring how you feel and, of course, doing your blood work. Next question is, what is your love language and what is Brett's love language? Well, Brett's love language is, for sure, physical touch. And his second love language is quality time together. Mine are words of affirmation and acts of service. (laughs) So tell me I'm smart. Tell me I'm funny. Tell me I'm pretty. And then make me dinner. And then after dinner, you're going to get your two love languages. It works out so nicely. Okay, next question is, do you carry a person? What kind of a purse do you carry daily? Okay, so this is interesting. And this has a lot to do with my ADHD. I don't carry a purse anymore. 
my phone is my wallet. And, you know, I've got like whatever, my credit cards in there. And I don't carry a purse. I have had so many purses stolen and or lost. More lost than stolen, but both. And you're thinking to yourself, like, how could you have purses stolen? Well, because I will leave it on a table and just walk away. I will put it on the front seat of my car and then walk into the gym and forget to lock my car. I just, I, I'm telling you, it's because of my ADHD that I do not carry a purse daily. If we're going out on a nice date night, I have a few nice purses, but I am not one to collect luxury items anymore because I don't see the point of it. I know you guys have heard that before. Like, I don't see the point of that other than to flex because when I see people who like hold on to all of their nice old, you know, their nice shoes and their nice bags, but they're like from five seasons ago and you can say, oh, it's classic and never goes out of style. Yeah, but you haven't used it in like five years. So you're just like, it's just like stacking cash in a closet so you can show people that you've got five, you know, Louboutins or whatever, or 20 expensive bags. Like I just don't get that. I think it's a humongous waste of money. Every luxury item that I have ever owned, once I'm not going to use it anymore because I think it's out of style or I'm just not into it, I sell it on the real reel or I also have a Poshmark page and I just started a new page on Odesi, if you're listening. You're, oh, it's called Fashion File. I'll put links to all three of those below because every cent that I make after I've you know paid the fees or whatever all goes to support Alzheimer's research. So I am going to sell my dress that I'm going to wear as a mother of the bride and is freaking stunning. Oh my God, I'm so excited about my dress for Sierra's wedding. Oh my God, I'm so excited, you guys. And after I've worn it, I will sell it on probably fashion file. And that's so that all the proceeds can go to Alzheimer's research. I felt really good about doing that. We've been doing it now for, I think, like five or six years. So it also gets me excited to get rid of these luxury items. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, oh, this now it's going to go to good use. Oh, Amanda, I love this question. What do you do if you absolutely do not feel like doing a podcast recording or going live to do one of your webinars? Okay, so I do webinars and live trainings in my membership group. So I've got a, you know, Insta Club Hub that Brock and I go live twice a month. Piece of cake. I haven't yet done one that I didn't look forward to it because I'm doing it with Brock. So it's so fun. And we're teaching, you know, and I love to teach. I love going live for Marketing Impact Academy. I love teaching people like, you know, let me just break this down. It's so much easier than what people think. Like that just, I have not yet had a moment that I did not feel like doing that. But if I'm being honest about podcasting, because I do, you know, like six podcasts a week, if you include Patreon, it is not often, but there have been times, right, where maybe, I mean, just things happen where you're just upset or maybe you've gotten in a fight with somebody or there's been a death or you're just really under the weather or you just aren't really excited to teach something, but that's pretty rare. So If I can't get excited to do a podcast, like I really can't get excited, I I probably will not record, in which case we will pick a really popular episode from the past, one that we is a topic we haven't touched on recently, and we will re-release it. There have been times when Kristen, who's the podcast manager, has just called an audible. She'll be like, you're not recording tonight. You were under the weather. I know what you had to do all day today. And you are not recording. I already have a great episode 
this one, it's been a while. People are going to love it. And, you know, she'll get me hyped about like, she'll have to literally talk me out of recording, you know, because she's, she's the manager. She's my momager. She's my boss. And so I'll be like, okay, fine. She'll, she does that regularly. She's like, all right, I'm pulling the mom card. You're not recording today. It's pretty rare. I've only taken one break from podcasting and it was after the whole nightmare with my plastic surgeon. And I have, I've never experienced anything like that. I've, I didn't want to revisit how, what I was feeling and what I was going through. But like once it hit me, I just, it was, I don't want to say it was easy, but I knew I didn't have a choice. Like I knew I had to look out for my mental health in a very serious way. And I just had to take a break. And I did that. And I'm really glad that I did. And I'm really, really thankful for the love and support that you guys gave me during that time. I just, I don't know what I would do. I do not know what I would do without this community. Next question is, did you grow up with money from Laura? No, I did not. But I grew up with a with parents who had an incredibly positive abundancy mindset around money. So I didn't know that we didn't have money. I knew that things were up and down a lot. I knew that there were a lot of times where they didn't have money, but it never seemed like it was a big deal. Isn't that strange? Like even when they filed for bankruptcy, even when as a young child, my parents came to me to borrow my, you know, little bit of money that I had from birthday parties and, you know, Christmas gifts and things like that. My parents borrowed money from me. I think I was in like sixth grade. And I think it has everything to do with how they even, like they were always so cavalier. I don't want to say cavalier, but like there was always this expectation that like it, it'll, it's coming back. Yeah, it's just right now. So if we can just borrow a little bit of money from you right now, kid, you know, we'll, we'll have back to you in like no time and we're going to pay you back interest. Like money never had any power over them. And I think that's why money has no power over me. I could take it or leave it. Tomorrow I could wake up and have zero in my bank account and I would be like, so what? Like, I'll, I'll just make more. I know that if I'm helping other people, it will come to me and I will have enough. I will always have enough. I never, ever, ever worry about money. Like I said, it has no power over me. I won't say yes to something because of the money. I won't say no to something because of the money. Like money has no power over me whatsoever. My power comes from inside. My power comes from from God. And I, I have to give them credit for that because, you know, that was 18 years of role modeling, 18 years of instilling in me a really healthy mindset around money. And I cannot discredit how much of an advantage that gave me. I mean, that is privilege. It, I was so privileged, first of all, to grow up with two parents who are very positive, very happy people who really completely love and like each other. My parents, like I got a, I got text message with video footage of my dad today. My mom just filming my dad and she's, you know, making commentary as he's riding his motorcycle, talking about how amazing he is at age 74 and just look at him. And they just both are such loving fans of each other. I mean, how rare is that? And then to have this incredibly positive attitude around money, the fact that my dad had ADHD and and therefore understood and celebrated and supported 
the way my brain worked, that I never had any pressure to do well in school. And when I would get bad grades or if I got negative comments on my report card, my parents almost like defended me. I never got in trouble for that. Like I felt so seen and supported and validated. Even my flaws were all validated. Like if that's not privilege, I don't know what is. And that's why I often feel uncomfortable when someone might say like, you're such an inspiration or I don't know, things like that, right? Like you, you've you done so much. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've had every possible advantage you could think of other than height, you know? Like and cards were definitely stacked in my favor and you just, there was no trauma, there was no divorce, there was no addiction, there was no violence, no mean name, nothing, nothing. Are you kidding me? How did, that's just luck to get through childhood and into your adulthood unscathed and to have like such a great foundation, what an advantage. So when I meet someone and they say like, oh, you're inspirational, I'm like, look at you. What's inspirational to me, this is my opinion, is when somebody has come from the opposite of all that. They've had trauma and maybe a parent who was an addict or a parent who was abusive. Their home life was volatile, unpredictable. And they had lots of negative mindset role modeled to them and negative behaviors and relationships were unstable. And then that person usually comes from a family. Like if there's more than one sibling, one sibling ends up on the streets, you know, shooting heroin. And the other sibling has this remarkable DNA and something special inside of them. And they go on to do remarkable, amazing things. And that, that's inspirational because that's against all odds. Like when you're successful and you had everything stacked in your favor, like I'm, I'm not trying to like be self-deprecating. I hope you know that I'm being honest right now. How with all of those things stacked in my favor, how could I not have been successful? It's a reason why both my brother and my sister are also really, really successful. How could we not be? We just got really lucky. And I know it's not all luck, but a lot of it is luck, right? Because maybe you did grow up with two parents in an idyllic childhood, but yet you still were exposed to bad people because bad people are everywhere. And maybe there was some childhood sexual abuse from a coach. Like, I mean, there's just so many things that happen to the average person that I think it's more of a rare situation to have gotten through childhood without any of those traumas. All that to say, I find it so inspirational when someone has overcome all of that. To me, that's inspiration. To me, that is, that's resilience. And I can't think of a more inspirational quality, especially when that resilient person doesn't make their past part of their identity. I mean, because, you know, you meet these people that they've had these crazy, traumatic, like just awful childhoods or awful experiences, but they wear it like it's their identity, you know? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who's like, Psh, yeah, it happened. Let's go. You know, I did I did the work. I've gone to therapy. I know who I am now. I don't I don't need to, you know, tell. I don't have to wear this on my sleeve and constantly talk about it because it's not who I am. It's what happened to me, but it's not who I am. There are so many more questions that I didn't get a chance to get to. I really took a long time getting through those. I promise next time I will be more brief. I swear. Let me know though. Do you want me to do one of these again? 
would it be more interesting if I stayed on like one topic or do you like the random nature of these topics? I can, you know what I'll do? I'll throw a few more in on Fridays because the, the last question here is from a Patreon member who asks, Shalene, your medical condition, can you give us an update? So I've been talking to Patreon about a little something I've been dealing with that I haven't talked about publicly on The Shalene Show, but I will address it on Friday's episode And yeah, all right, so we'll talk about it there and I will answer a few more of these questions. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. I love you, I mean it, and I'll talk to you soon.